The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I am Mike Snoonian, and Jen and Laura are still taking a hiatus for the moment, but we continue to have a slew of fantastic guests that have volunteered to come on and fill the void. This week, we have the pleasure of hosting uh, the host of the What a Scream podcast, a senior contributor to Ghouls Magazine, and a senior contributor to the Moving Pictures site and podcast, where she has just launched a new series around the world in 80 horror films. Please welcome Egrain to the show. Egrain, how are we? I'm good. Thank you so much for uh, having me on and uh, allowing me to come on, even though I messaged you and was like, hey, let me on your show now. <laughs> no, and I am good. I mean, I put out the call for people. Like, you know, we were looking to fill some guests. I am incredibly awkward about reaching out to persons. So sometimes I just cast like a very wide net. And sometimes it's like... Ooh, I'm not sure I want this person on. <laughs> and that's always awkward. Yeah. Um, but with yourself, I'm like, I like this show. I love the theme song to your show. And I'm like, this would be fantastic. So thank you. We're going to be doing a comfort horror movie today. And we're going to define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy or we just find very thought provoking. And Egrain, would you care to introduce the movie that we're going to be discussing today? Yeah. So today we are going to be discussing the um, Irish folk horror from 2022 you are not my mother from kate uh, directed by kate nolan who i'd only seen her short film cat calls before this i think we showed it at tell your ride horror one year and uh is this her feature debut is that it is I, it's, her, it's okay. her long feature debut um and, okay. it, and it's kate dolan just so did just i so. say kate nolan yeah <laughs> all right i'm thinking of the sportscaster out here my bad okay um, who maybe Kate Nolan's a good horror filmmaker too. We we can all contain maybe. multitudes. <laughs> all right, but we are going to start with a quick movie synopsis right now, and this is the part where Jen usually inserts a really good pun, but I don't have one for this movie, so I'm just going to start my reading here. Uh, there is a baby carriage that's been abandoned on a quiet street in the middle of the night. Rita, an elderly woman with a pronounced limp, steers the carriage and the child inside it off the street and into the woods. She places the child in a ring of kindling and lights the wood on fire. We hear the baby scream before moving forward to the present day. The baby has survived the uh, being lit on fire and that the now teenage Char, which... As I'm reading that out loud now, oh, Char, okay, that's ironic. Uh, good piece of naming there. Lives with her mother, Angela, and her grandmother, Rita. When Char misses her school bus, she has to drag her mother out of bed to drive her in. The car ride is awkward, with Char having to beg her mother to go to the shops for basic necessities like bread and milk. Angela's only response is to say she can't do this anymore. 
At her all-girls school, Shar is bullied by her classmates. Her art teacher seems to take an interest in Shar's well-being, but not enough to notice the girl, who has skipped a grade ahead, has no social group, peers, or friends, and eats lunch alone in the cafeteria every day. Angela fails to return home, and her car is found abandoned that afternoon. The police don't seem to be too interested in pursuing this as a missing persons case, despite the protests of Shar's uncle and Angela's brother Aaron. When Shar takes an old photo of her mother along to look for her, she's cornered and bullied again by the girls from school, one of which burns the photograph, destroying it. Angela returns home and seems changed. Her depression has subsided, but she behaves in a bizarre fashion. She purposely knocks over a pot of soup that she's prepared. She's refused to eat dinner, choosing instead to stare straight ahead with a dead-eyed and vacant look, and she insists on taking Char on a getaway with just the two of them. Later on, Char spies her mother in the bathroom. It appears that Angela can contort herself into impossible angles and can go so far as to cram her whole fist and forearm down her throat in order to purge herself. When Aaron raises concerns about his sister's increasingly erratic behavior, she secretly poisons him and sends him to the hospital with an epileptic seizure and out of her hair. Angela's behavior becomes increasingly violent and erratic, and Char lives in terror of her mother under the roof. Char strikes up a friendship with Suzanne, one of her former bullies. Suzanne lives with her father, and she reveals her own mother drowned in a nearby lake when the girl was just a baby. Suzanne's father warns her to stay away from Char and that family. And as we all know, teenagers 100% do what they're told by parental authority figures at all times, and telling her to stay away won't drive her even further to the young girl. Uh, Rita soon tells Shar about the girl's horrifying past. When Shar was a baby, Rita realized the girls had been swapped by a changeling, hence the fire ritual from the film's beginning. This act brought the real Shar back, but left her with a burn scar that her family told her was a birthmark. Rita tells her that the Angela in their house is not Shar's mother, but a changeling, and she must be burned in order for the real Angela to return. Shar pretends to agree with her grandmother, but instead... Uh, Finds the bound Angela, frees the bound Angela from her constraints. Whoops. <laughs> Char is locked in the bedroom, but hears the signs of the scuffle. The changeling Angela kills Rita, and her granddaughter finds the body uh, posed in her favorite chair. Char runs from the home, but is cornered by the bullies. They force her into a wooden structure built for that evening's Halloween bonfire. The head bully threatens to light Char on fire, and it becomes obvious to the rest of her crew that she intends to do it. Changeling Angela to the rescue. Her now less than fully human looking appearance scares the bullies off. That's good. However, she traps Char in the wooden structure with her with the intention of dragging her to the lake and swapping her out for another changeling. That's bad. Char manages to get a hold of the hairspray her bully left behind and the light Suzanne had given her earlier and even gets to manage a badass delivery of you are not my mother before setting the changeling on fire. Suzanne rescues Char from the flames and in the final moments the real Angela returns home and embraces Char. Char makes her mother a version of the protective token she learned from Rita. The mother and daughter are reunited, happy and ready to move forward with their lives. The rare happy ending in a movie like this. Yes, very rare. So wonderful. 
Excellent. All right. So thank you for helping out with that. And we are going to move on with our feelings check. And this is where we uh, share our first experience with this movie and how it feels when we watch it. And Egrain, since you suggested this movie to us, can you tell us why you chose You Are Not My Mother for our listeners? Yes. Um, so I saw this for the first time um, last year at Dublin International Film Festival. And it was a sold out screen. Um, it ended to a standing ovation. And it it grabbed me from the get-go. Like, I left the screen and I wrote a review for Moving Pictures almost immediately. Um, it's we, We've seen a lot of Irish folk horror, but a lot of it has been English couple moves to Irish countryside and we get those, you know, gee-eyed locals that seem a bit dodgy and it's all very stereotypical of how the English perceive Irish people, which sometimes is quite offensive. So when this came out and it was steeped in Irish folklore, like so many scenes are things that like other people wouldn't quite get unless you're Irish and it was really about Ireland and the people of Ireland and especially like people from inner city Dublin and it was just so truthful it didn't have any stereotypes and it talked about you know Irish folklore and how it is integrated into modern society and as well as that it talks about uh, parental illness which is something I'm really interested in because being a mother myself and also having grown up with a mother who suffered from mental illness so it's something that really grabbed me from the get-go excellent could you talk a little bit about some of the because we see these from an american well i see these from an american perspective and my wife is british uh she's from cornwall and i don't always see or perceive like what some of the slights would be like when you Talk about what you just mentioned, like an English couple moving to the Irish countryside and then seeing the locals as like a bunch of dodgy weirdos. What are some of the things that an outsider might not perceive when they watch a film like this typically? Um, Well, I don't think a lot of people know, but Ireland was colonized by England um, a couple of hundred years ago, right up until um, kind of early to mid uh 1900s and it has left we're still recovering from it ireland as a country we're still very affected by this colonialism and um the kind of scar it's left and so when people view a movie where you've got these english couple coming to the irish countryside and it's saying the irish are these weird locals with their you know witchcraft it feels very colonialist and Mm -hmm. very um stereotypical of what how the english would have painted us back in the day you know they said all irish were wildlings they were savages they were uncultured etc etc so when we see movies like this it's still very is that how they still see us and i think a recent release called unwelcome has recently come out and it follows that same guidelines. And I haven't seen it, but a lot of people have said to me, like, oh, it's a little bit, like, it's a little bit insulting. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll ask, and maybe we'll save this for the movie discussion, but does the opening scene play maybe a bit into that perception of the Irish as, like, a bunch of pagans that will, like, sacrifice? So when I watch that opening scene, I'm like, they're burning a baby alive. Like, this is pretty horrific. And then you realize it's a protective ritual. Yeah, I guess maybe from the outset, but here in Ireland, we used to, and we still do have a lot of focus on our healing women and women of uh, magic and medicinal herbology. And 
see it kind of goes both ways we've got that thing of where rita is like this horrible woman she's the witch woman um and but then we've also got this factor of how irish beliefs have kind of integrated within modern society and within you know society as a whole i mean we have a case going back maybe a hundred or so years 200 years where a woman was actually burned by her community and her husband because they thought she was a changeling so it kind of reflects our history of this belief of changelings so for me this was a first time watch uh, i wasn't even aware that this title existed until you suggested suggested it and i am really glad you brought it to the show because it's a fantastic movie and i think it fits so well into the themes of what we do here but not only that it's just it's creepy it's one of those movies that can get under your skin in a number of different ways and like the note that i made is it feels a lot like the original evil dead or the evil dead remake except that it's much more grounded and not going for over-the-top histrionic in effect it is it feels like if there was like a deadite this is kind of how they would perform like they would try much harder to fit in but be incapable of doing so i loved how this film is constructed and put together some of the edits are extremely jarring and i think dolan uses them to tell a very simple story or a very set up a simple premise without a lot of exposition and the scene that jumps out is early on when she's at school and her school counselor is like talking to her about well no you've jumped ahead a year but you have your friends here you get to see them every day at lunch and then it immediately cuts to her sitting alone having a sandwich in a cafeteria and there's no one within tables of her and it goes like a long way to telling a very simple picture of like who char is at least at the outset of this movie found it scary as hell um and i'm very interested in talking about some of the folklore in this or at least learning about some of the folklore behind it um but also diving in as we talk about the movie like some of the depictions of what i would label like psychotic depression mm -hmm. in this movie with char's yeah. mother so Let's do that. Let's okay. jump right in to the movie discussion. And uh, Egrain, you touched on it a little bit, but could you discuss maybe a little bit further, like some of the roots of the folklore that this movie is grounded in? Um, so the folklore behind. Um, so the main main thing it's based on is this idea of a changeling, which comes from the belief of fairies or a she in Irish. Um, and they are, I know everyone thinks fairies are like little tinkerbells with their gorgeous glittery wings, but here in Ireland they are very mischievous, um, sometimes quite sinister. Um, and a changeling would be either a fairy child or the elder of a fairy that they would go and swap a human child for. Um, mainly because, you know, their elder fairy folk wanted to die in peace or they thought that humans were better at bringing up fairy children than the fairies were and then they take the human child back to the fairyland um what was to become of the human child no one knows but they thought that it probably would go into servitude for the fairies okay. um mm -hmm. so yes yeah, so there is that whole idea um and so that plays into like shara's past and also what angela 
uh, becomes. But then we see a lot of other things. We see um, one of the scenes that not a lot of Irish people got. And like I've talked to a lot of non-Irish about this and they're always like, what is with this scene? On their way to school, they see a big black horse in the middle of a uh, housing estate. Now in Dublin, that's perfectly normal. People still keep horses in houses, housing estates. Really? Um, Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But the fact that they see a massive black horse uh, represents the puka, which is kind of a demon slash entity that would kind of come around at about Halloween. And it was what you would kind of try to scare off at Halloween by putting out your lanterns. Uh, The whole idea of a jack-o'-lantern stems from uh, Irish people carving out turnips and putting them on their windowsills to scare off the puka. Um, We also have something called a breeches cross, which we see hung up in the kitchen of Shara's house. Um, People still make those crosses and it is to represent the goddess breege or when she became Christian, St. Breach, um, who is the patron saint of women and children. Um, so this film is just folklore upon folklore. It's very rooted in Samhain, which is the fire festival from which Halloween comes from. Um, the bonfires, people still light bonfires at Halloween, just like we did thousands of years ago, where fires would be lit to signify um, the coming of winter. Okay. So the puka that you see or the horse being there is meant to, if you're in the know and are familiar with the folklore, it's a signal that, okay, things are about to get supernatural here. It's no accident why that is in the roadway. It's definitely a a forewarning of things to come. Mm -hmm. But if you weren't familiar with that, and this is an Irish film, it wouldn't be unusual to see a random horse. No. Just kind of bizarre. That is just... (laughs) So it's they're just like mineral estates that have like the room to keep a horse. I imagine that it's yeah. If there's a green out there, or you know, because like du- Dublin isn't like a normal city. It's surrounded by countryside, um, lots still lots of greenery where we are um, in Dublin. So it's not that unusual for there to be like horses or you know on the outskirts people have cow farms or sheep farms. So it's it's quite a normal thing in Dublin. So let's talk about the very beginning of this movie because you have the the opening scene is so jarring. You see this carriage that is just framed under one street light, and you I think as a parent you see that and you immediately think like what's wrong here? Like why is this baby left alone? And it feels like this elder woman woman is just out to steal the baby and sacrifice it. Like that is. Um, and I found that scene so disquieting. And I think part of it is, I don't think you can, sh- it's probably in bad taste to show someone lighting a baby <laughs> on fire, no matter how good yeah. the effects are. But I found like just the screams of the baby as like the credits are going up, like super, super jarring. But from what you're saying is like, this is meant to be something that's more of a protection. Yeah. And I'm wondering about, not cueing the audience in on that right away and like who would pick up on that because for me it was like super disturbing i don't even think i picked up that char was the child uh until a few minutes in yeah i mean it was super disturbing for me as well the first time i saw it i was like just that pit in the back of my like in the bottom of my stomach just like hit and i was like oh god no like i can't i can't be dealing with this um but then as it comes in and you see char i was like oh yeah of course like it's her 
she's the baby. Um, and obviously this is something to do with protection. Like we see in Ireland, we light fires for protection. Um, so yeah, but it's definitely such a good opener because it really sets the tone for like, you know, shit's going to get messed up basically. And that fire, fire is going to come into play again in the film. Yeah. Place throughout. I mean, Every time Char is threatened, it's usually under the threat of fire. Like the bullies burn her picture. Um, they threaten to burn her in the structure at the end of the movie. Like throughout the film, like fire is meant to be something that is going to act as like a threatening agent to Shar and everybody else. So um, let's talk about Angela briefly. Because we see her at the outset of this movie. It's the the true Angela, and she's in the throes of a major depressive episode. So we see at least three of the key signs. Like, number one, that struggle to get out of bed, where you're just much more tired, it's hard to move around. Like, the act of putting your feet on the floor, getting dressed, and doing something seems impossible. Um, the home is in a bit of disarray. Like, she can't... It, can't even make her way to the grocery shop so there's food like Shar is like begging her like we're out of everything there's nothing to eat right now we need something here and then what i found most jarring was her in front of her daughter just openly contemplating what it would be to end everything like just you know and it takes a lot of bravery to admit that saying like i don't think i can do this anymore but you're putting that burden on a 16-year-old young woman that's not going to be in a position to offer a lot of real help and support as opposed to maybe getting, like, actual help for the problem. And I found that, like, a very realistic portrayal of what depression often looks like. Um, not just I feel sad, but everything feels... The analogy I use is... Everything feels like you're wearing a backpack weighted with softball-sized stones in it. What was your initial impressions, like, watching Angela at the outset of this? Um, it really kind of drew me in emotionally because, as a mother myself, I've suffered really badly from my mental health. Um, and, you know, I can relate to the signs of not wanting to get out of bed, um, letting things go, like washing or clearing up or shopping really basic things that you're meant to do as a parent as a caregiver or as a mother um but i also saw because i also grew up with a mother who suffered from mental illness i could put myself in shar's shoes and just waking up knowing that it's another day that you basically have to be the adult again um not through anyone's fault like i'm not trying to make angela to, you know be out the bad guy but it's just that it's just so good the way from the opening scene Dolan manages to capture both sides of the experience that it's not just we don't just see it from Angela's experience we don't just see it from Shar, but we're seeing it from both and we can be sympathetic to both as well. You get a real sense of the enmeshed family here because there's like four members of it. Rita is at this point a bit aged, like it's difficult for her to even get around. Is it gout that she has? I'm not quite sure what it is that she's suffering from, but it makes it pretty difficult for her to move. And Char essentially has to run the household, like she's responsible for herself. I found it interesting watching 
Aaron come into the picture at times because he ostensibly wants to offer like help and support and be the quote unquote adult in the room, but he's not quite sure what to do. Like everything that he tries to offer in terms of help seems to be more in way of like offering a restriction on Angela, which is more prone to make her want to lash out than seek any. He doesn't seem to try to understand what she's going through and then adapt accordingly. Yeah, and I think there's there's also a scene with Aaron that there's one point where he goes up into Shara's bedroom and he gives her Angela's um, debit card. And he's like, look after this, you know, you're in charge of the money now. And it's just such, it was a real failing on his half that again, he's putting on all this responsibility, like financial responsibility onto a really young child, basically. And not saying, you know, not taking on the responsibility of himself, which he should be. Um, so yeah, that was a really big moment in that film that I felt like Shara had really been failed by the adults around her. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because I grew up in a home that wasn't like this. Like I had two parents and both were, my dad had a lot of medical issues, but mental health wise, both of my parents were very stable. If somebody handed me mom's debit card at age 16, I'm going record shopping. I'm like going like, you know, first seven inch from Fugazi. Fantastic. I'm buying a first press of that right now. Forget about food and necessity. So to have that burden of responsibility, although you're on the precipice of young adulthood, like it still seems like a lot. What do you think it was that tipped the family off? Like once Angela and do you feel like Angela's disappearing act was something that happened, if not often, that was like a fairly recurring, maybe happened in a recurring basis because the police don't seem to have any interest in really pursuing her once the family says she's gone and she's like not in a good, she's in a fragile state right now mentally. Um, I don't know because I just feel like if it was a regular occurrence, surely, you know, Char and her uncle and her, granny would be a bit more kind of like oh, she'll be back you know she always comes back I feel like the um, inclusion of the guard or the police was to show how much mental illness is um, kind of pushed to the wayside here in Ireland we don't have very good um, mental health facilities um, basically unless you are in the middle of committing suicide there is no help from you from our um you know governmental kind of health system um and so i felt like that was included just to show that the society in which angela and shar are in don't care for people with mental health issues um i don't think it's a regular occurrence just because of the reaction from shar and her uncle like going out searching for her themselves i feel like if it was they would have been like oh she'll be back in a bit okay yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those, I, I get it. Like, it comes to the point where something happens so often, it's not an irregular appearance. It's not an irregular occurrence anymore. It's just part of what you have to deal with. I just, it feels like if I was that age, I guess I might be more fed up than anything else. Yeah. I don't even know if I would get up and go out and look any mm. longer. Um, how do you feel like, I don't know what bullying looks like in Ireland. Ireland, but I'm sure that it exists. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone that like in my own day-to-day job have to work with kids just a hair younger than 
Shar and teach them about like the consequences of bullying, how it affects people. But I think as adults, we're often, we don't realize just how insidious bullying can be and how it can fly under the radar. What does bullying look like in Ireland that you're, that you could speak to is like, did her experience in this school kind of like ring authentic or did it seem a bit over the top? Like how bad it was? No, I think it's pretty authentic. Um, It can get as nasty as it does. I'm sure it's pretty much the same everywhere. The thing I liked about its depiction was that it showed the bullies, especially um, the one that then goes on to have a friendship with Char, that these are all children that have their own problems and they haven't been shown how to process those problems. And so it comes out in the form of uh, bullying, abuse and violence. Um, And a lot of these bullies are bullied themselves or they're afraid of being bullied. Um, So I liked that depiction that it wasn't just like, I mean, apart from the one that we're kind of seen at at the end who, you know, goes to light Shar on fire it's very much like, well, what are these kids going through themselves? Um, and I, I, I liked that about it, um, that it wasn't just like black and white kind of what I think of as like 80s and 90s bullies where it's like these are bad people and, you know, it, it's a very three-dimensional version of what a bully actually is. I think if you go and you explore the causes of bullying, the number one cause for bullying is the person doing it is often bullied themselves. They're either in a situation where someone at home is abusing them or they are being bullied by another peer group. There's the phrase that shit rolls downhill. So people are always looking for, you know, if I'm getting picked on, I want to take out my aggression elsewhere. And they're looking for a target at that point. I did like the depiction of this friendship between Suzanne and Char because it felt very authentic in that they both bonded over traumatic family experiences. And once Suzanne recognized like one spark that was there, like, oh, we have this in common, we should maybe be friends with one another. Is the the kitchen scene with Suzanne when she's waiting for her uh, for Rita and Char to kind of talk things out, am I to believe that that is like a manifestation of Suzanne's mother? Yeah, yeah. Uh- that's what I gather just from like the dripping of the water and that's how Suzanne's mother has died. Um, uh, the, the one thing I took from it was this changeling, you know, kind of manifested it to scare Suzanne away and get her away from Char because Suzanne's a very grounding entity in Char's life. She's the one that believes her. She's the one that says to her, I know what it feels like to have a parent with mental illness. Um, and so I do believe it was a, a way for the, the changeling to get Suzanne away from Char. So this is just Angela is or Angela's form in that moment shifting a bit in order to get rid of Suzanne. Yeah, or it could be seen as perhaps the mother came back as an entity to warn Suzanne, yeah. maybe. So it's like that's two what sides. I was thinking, yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. What do we think like and I guess one of the things I was questioning as I'm watching this, like given that Angela had been so ill for so long, like she had lived with this depression for so long, when she comes back she's still exhibiting signs of 
depression, like the not being able to eat, the kind of like dressing in ways that seemed much different for her, and like the kind of flights of fancy. They're like, oh, we should just pack a bag and drive somewhere and go away. And everyone's looking at her like, this is a bad idea. What do you think were the actual, like, how would it be signified that like there's something that's even more wrong with Angela right now? Um, well, I think when we look at, you know, uh, Shara comes home and Angela's preparing a soup in a, you know, a quite a nice dress and listening to music and dancing along to it. And that kind of represented for me anyway, like a, some sort of like a bipolar disorder that you're kind of up and down and you can be like maniacally happy and jolly, but then you can go completely the opposite direction. So I think this is something which is quite normal for the family. But I think when it becomes a problem is when Shar is privy to stuff like Angela going into the bathroom and contorting herself in a monstrous way and, you know, making herself get sick by putting her whole damn arm down her throat rather than, you know, just the fingers. And it's this um, almost monstrous animalistic things that we see. You know, there's one point where Angela wants to dance with Shar and Shar's like, no, I don't want it. And she starts like pounding the ground and like basically this real almost tribal kind of, it's what I imagine like, you know, the Irish from way back in, you know, the Bronze Age would do with their tribal kind of drum beats and yeah, and then obviously she poisons her her Shara's uncle, Aaron. So it's starting to become less of, okay, she's just maniacally happy, but she's also becoming monstrous. And I think that's the, the turning point to which Shara is like, there's something wrong with her, like really wrong. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's really scary about this movie is when you have like children, you see this in other movies like um, Relic, and I think The Lodge is another one where... You have these kids that are either young adults or on the precipice of like young adulthood, but they're still not fully able to care for themselves yet, and they can't just pick up and leave. So you have someone that is like trapped in the home with someone that is clearly not well, and even if it's not a changeling situation, it is very, very bad. Yeah, it's something that actually before we came on we were talking about skinnamarink and it's something i feel skinnamarink touched on as well about this inability to escape because when you're that young and you're a child where else are you going to go you know you don't know anything else you don't know any different you don't know how you're going to get out there and get away from this so you're really stuck um more than anyone else would be in this sort of situation i mean char has suzanne and at one point suzanne's like look here's some clothes you know, go, just leave, just leave. But Shara's like, I can't go. Like, it's just not possible for me to leave. Um, So it's a really sad situation that unfortunately a lot of children find themselves in. And I think that's why this particular aspect of the film is so terrifying and heartbreaking at the same time. And, and there are other characters that like touch on Shara's situation. Like there's nothing that is secret about it. Like she has that. And it feels like the art teacher also like doubles as the school counselor because when they open up her office there are like mental health posters and like call numbers and such and the her teacher clearly is trying to talk to Shar like look it, we know you're in a bad situation if there's something that we can do right now let us know but she's still loath to interfere more than that like you almost don't you almost don't want to know how bad the situation is because I know in in my job, like I'm a mandated reporter. So if there's if there's even a hint of abuse or neglect, 
that ha- is going on in a household. It's my duty, it's my ethical responsibility to report on that. Doesn't mean that something's happened. It doesn't mean that I'm the one doing the investigation, but I have to let authorities know. And there's just a lot of times when it feels like if I'm going to call on somebody, if I'm going to pick up the phone and dial on a family, I've had the situation happen this year. I'm like, I know some of the circumstances of this particular family. How much worse am I going to make it if I pick up the phone and call? Um, is there anything else we can do before that? But there were just, even here, there's like a very limit, a lot of limits to the options here. You mentioned that it's not great in Ireland. So I'm interested, like, what is the social safety net like in like a city like Dublin or a country like Ireland? There really isn't any. Um, very, very little. Um, you know, we're terribly underfunded in all ways, education, um, prevention, um, and, you know, post-help. Everything is very, very underfunded. Um, and, you know, I can... <clears throat> I can see it from the school's point of view in You Are Not My Mother that, you know, the teacher's trying, but she's probably not paid enough. She's probably hasn't been trained enough. You know, she's probably been given the basic training. Can you recognize depression? You know, that kind of thing. She's probably not been given training. Um, And she probably knows that the system doesn't work and that there is no safety in place for children. That, you know, even if um, Shar was, say, taken away by child protective services she could be put into another place where she's in just as much danger um so yeah it's a really double-edged sword for anyone in that position really right right and even if she were taken away it doesn't mean that the mother is going to get any of the help no that she wants yeah. at that point and no. i think you maybe had a brief hint of that of the scene in the hospital where Aaron is laid up after he's been poisoned and he's ac- accused immediately of being a junkie. Like I forget what it is they find in his system, but it's lithium. Like, it's lithium. Yeah. Okay. And a brief interview with anyone that knows him would clearly uncover that, that he's not someone abusing lithium, but it's almost like it's presumed. No, this is someone who's abusing things right yeah. now. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. We've got a very bad drug problem here in, uh, Ireland and Dublin specifically so I mean it reminds me of when I was pregnant and I had gone to McDonald's for you know <laughs> a bit of a, a craving and I fainted and the woman behind the counter behind the McDonald's counter was like she's just a junkie and I was like a I'm not a junkie I'm pregnant b so what if I was a junkie does that mean I don't need help like so it's this very kind of prejudice against anybody that comes from a social background that isn't you know perfect um and just just the way that again women are treated as well um we've had so many cases of women unfortunately um killing their children and killing themselves and it's because they haven't got the help they needed when it came to their mental illness perhaps post uh, postnatal or prenatal um and it's left until it gets to this sort of tragedy, unfortunately. Um, so this film's a really good depiction of what is happening in Irish society at the moment. Yeah. What other things about it stand out that make it uniquely Irish? I know you mentioned a bit about some of the folklore, the trappings of like the changeling and the fairies and like the the idea in folklore that like they would come and capture children and then replace them with one of their own so the humans could raise them. 
to me, it's it feels like a very universal film. Like you don't necessarily have to be of Irish descent in order to have this like really capture you. But what other things about it really hit home that make it a uniquely Irish picture? Um, I think it's the way that folklore is shown to be integrated in modern society. That it's not, you know, in a lot of folklore horror, we have old versus new. Whereas um, in this, it's very integrated and it's old and new. And that is how Irish society is still. Um, we still practice things like burning bonfires at Halloween. We still have our St. Breeders crosses. Um, we still, there's still so many different um, traditions and um, uh, what would you say, kind of um, customs that we still carry out in modern day life that was done hundreds of years ago when people you know had belief in the ASHE and the fairies I mean I remember because I grew up in like real rural Ireland in the in the west and I had a friend's mum we were going out walking one day amongst the fields and she was like don't forget if you get lost turn your jumper inside out and then you'll be able to find yourself home and that's you know a tradition for if you get lost in a field it's because the fairies so turn your jumper mm -hmm. inside out and you'll find your way home um so there's still a lot of these kind of beliefs like hanging up broomsticks over doorways um don't eat blackberries after halloween because you'll get poisoned by the witches um so there's still loads of these customs that are still carried out in ireland and this film reflects that and like you said even if you're not irish you can still enjoy this film and that really upholds you know why it's such a great film that you don't have to be irish to watch it but mm -hmm. when you are irish and you see these little i guess easter eggs um it's really validating you know as an irish person yeah. is there a lot of conflict in modern irish culture because i and i maybe i'm just way off base i picture like ireland as a predominantly catholic country and that just might be because there's so many like Boston-based Irish folks around here um, that are identify as Catholic, my mom being one of them, that is there a lot of conflict between like folkish tradition and Catholicism or do those two things get adapted into like more of a unique kind of cultural blend? Um, well, I mean, Ireland is still very predominantly Catholic. Unfortunately, we are working hard to, to beat that back because you know, Ireland has suffered at the hands of the Catholic Church, unfortunately. Um, not so much that, you know, this pagan belief and the Catholic belief hasn't come up against each other. It's kind of married with each other because I believe that the Catholic Church were like, well, these Celts, we're not going to get them to change any other way. So even with uh, St. Breege, like I said earlier, St. Breege's cross, that was Bridget's cross, the, the goddess. But now they've turned into St. Breege, which is a Catholic saint. Um, so yeah, they very much married the pagan beliefs into the Catholic. Unfortunately, we're working hard to separate them. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, one of the things I find fascinating with Char is, and understandably, so she's kind of in the middle of her own burgeoning depressive episodes at the outset of this movie. Like she's clearly lacking from like a lot of like social interaction. She's obviously very intelligent. It's mentioned that she skipped a grade, but she just seems so worn down and so tired, especially when you see the scenes with her being confronted by the bullies. You just see her basically eating shit for a lack of, of a better term. And I'm wondering, like, how much do you see the roots of Char's own burgeoning depression 
being like tied in directly to her mom's difficulties in inability to be the parent that she needs to be. Oh, completely. Like, you know, um, mental illness, depression is almost hereditary. Um, and, you know, as I said, I've had my own problems with mental health as well as, you know, being a child of someone with bad mental health. Um, and so when you see your parent or your primary caregiver not being able to get out of bed and, you know, or being abusive, you do take that on your own shoulders as a child um, and you're exhausted and you think like, why do I have to go through this? And it it's definitely plants the seed for what you go on to experience in your adulthood. Unfortunately, unless it's like, you know, curbed and you manage to get the help you need from the get-go, it is something that I see Shar is just going to have to deal with when she gets older. And this is where we start to see, you know, with the bullies, with her mother, it's all kind of manifesting. And if this was, you know, a, a normal teenage story and not one with fairies and changelings, then, you know, we would see her kind of in the grip of depression. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with all that. And I think that's partly why the ending for me works. And we'll get, get to that mm-hmm. maybe as we close things out here in a little bit. Um, what I found scary as well was the idea of like Rita hiding information from Shar mm-hmm. that she clearly would have benefited from knowing. Yeah. Like, I think you probably should know growing up that, oh, by the way, at one point we felt you were, um, kidnapped by the changeling yeah. and this is why you things are the way they are this idea that like adults often try to shield children from bad information or information they feel might be harmful with when it if anything it causes the child more problems mm-hmm. because they don't know where these things are coming from and yeah. it, it causes more harm than good yeah um this kind of whole thing that you can't tell a child things and you have to keep them from them until they're adult or you know it's ridiculous children are so really receive information as long as you say it in like a child appropriate manner you know as long as you're not like well your mother's suicidal and we almost burned Mm -hmm. you to death but children are so good at taking information and processing it as long as it's explained to them properly and accepting it it's like when people go on about, oh, how do I tell my children about gay people or about trans people? And you're like, just explain it. And mm-hmm. they go, okay. Like I have, you know, my son's five and he's asked me about people loving people and trans people. And he's also asked me like, you know, that there'd have been days where I'd just be crying nonstop. And he's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, some days I just feel like crying and it's okay to show emotion as long as we talk about it. Um, and he's very much like, okay then, and that's normal. And I think if we normalize these things, it doesn't become this great big scary monster that, you know, tries to take over our lives. And I think the whole premise behind You Are Not My Mother is children will monstrosize things they can't logically process. So Shar sees her mother change and not be the mother she thinks she is. So she turns her into a monster. And then as she grows up, her mother will always be a monster. Whereas if from the get-go she was told exactly what happened, she'd be able to process that a lot easier and would save her a lot of time and trouble as well. Right. It feels like it's a product of wanting to have Angela 
pull out of it on our own. Mm. Like if we just demonize it and otherize it, Mm -hmm. we can ignore the problem and it's up to her. Like we're going to hope and pray that she is able to overcome Mm -hmm. it, but we don't have to deal with it head on at that point. We can kind of, and I like what you, what you're saying too about always having to find like children having to always monsterize something. I would take that a step further and say that like we, as a species are always looking for someone to demonize that as we've moved away from the world of folklore, Mm -hmm. we believe in vampires and ghosts and monsters and like things coming, demons coming out from under your bed in the middle of the night. We've replaced that with demonizing people of color. And then when that is no longer in, in fashion, we demonize queer persons. And then when that, was no longer in fashion. Now we've moved on to demonizing transgender persons, like one of the most at-risk communities in the world. And they represent such a small population that it's all of a sudden in some circles become in fashion to talk about them in non-human ways. Like we're Mm -hmm. always looking for some sort of monster in our society. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And just like you said, when you passed out in a McDonald's and someone said, oh, she's just a junkie. It's like, well, whether or not someone's an addict, like being an addict is a form of mental illness. And mm-hmm. we shouldn't be treating addiction like a criminal problem, but yeah. like a health problem. Yeah. But yes, that person, even if you were, doesn't mean you're not entitled to dignity, respect, and compassion mm-hmm. in that moment. We, it's, Empathy's not a pie. There's more than enough of it to go around. <laughs> exactly. Um, what else did I have here? I guess let's talk about the end of this movie and Char being able to overcome her fear of her mother mm-hmm. and confront her head on. We see that building, like you see the moment when she's on the class trip and she finally, for the first time, is able to confront her bully mm-hmm. and basically tell her to piss off, which is great. It's always a great moment when yeah. one kid is able to confront their bully, <laughs> except sometimes a bully escalates and now it's like, now I'm going to set you on fire. <laughs> um, but what I really love, like the effects that Dolan employs here is that Angela no longer looks human. Mm-hmm. Like, she, like in Char's mind, the woman's been stripped of all humanity mm-hmm. Number one, she's killed her grandmother. She's killed her own. Angela's mm-hmm. killed her mother at that point. But how Shar is so afraid of her that her humanity's been stripped away. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting because most of the film we see it from Shara's point of view. So, you know, yeah, we do see Angela looking this way to Shar, But the point which Angela is in the shower, that is just Angela's point of view. So I can also see it that Angela sees herself as inhuman as well. And that she is monstrous. And especially when you're a mother or anyone that goes through mental illness, you do feel like you're, you've you lost your humanity. And you do feel like you're monstrous and that you're not yourself. So I really like that portrayal of where, you know, yes, it makes great horror film fodder, but it's also very representative of how people feel about themselves yeah. and about others that they see going through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what I've gone through my own depressive episodes and I don't suffer them from them as greatly as I used to. Mm. But I know that I have like a fair amount of body dysmorphia around yeah. them and the way I see myself versus how I look. Like there yeah. is a, 
period of many years where I would get upset if anyone would take a picture of me. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to look at photos of me. I don't want to see pictures of me. I've gotten much better about that. But also just the way my brain would turn itself into my own yeah. worst enemy. Um, where I didn't even recognize myself or who I was. Mm-hmm. It just felt awful like i just felt like so much not like quite a monster but less than who i could possibly be in those moments and i hate that do you feel the end of this movie where the mother and daughter are reunited and they're moving forward i loved the end of it Mm -hmm. and i love that we didn't get a fake out last minute scare in the movie that came to mind a bit was the ending of Smile, Mm -hmm. which played earlier this year, where you think that there's a triumphant end and it ends up, nope, we're still trapped in this hellhole of mental illness. And I hated that because to me it sent the message that even if you do all of the work and are able to um, process through these events that have happened to you, you're still going to be fucked by them. That at least there was a path forward for... Char and Angela, and I really love that at the end of this. Yeah, I know a lot of people are kind of giving out about the end, uh, but I think we're all a bit phased by all these, uh, like you said, these quite nihilistic endings that we're used to in horror. Um, I like this ending because, you know, she had to go through the fire to come out the other end, and that's very indicative of what you actually have to do when you're going through these illnesses, is you literally have to reach rock bottom, put yourself through the fire to come out the other end and feel like, okay, I'm not okay now, but I will be. And Mm -hmm. it was just a very positive ending. Um, Horror has a great tradition of showing mental health, but it can also be very bad representation. And like you said, Smile, I think, was quite bad in its representation. Same with um, Lights Out, even though I quite liked the film, I felt like its representation of um, mental illness in parenthood was quite bad. A film that I like as well, The Babadook, I feel, is really good at representing Mm -hmm. the ending of what it feels like to actually live with mental health. That you do have to live with your Babadook and that doesn't just go away, but you know what, you find a way to make it work. And I feel like that's what You Are Not My Mother did as well, that it was like, you know what, it might not be okay, but it's going to be okay. I love The Babadook because I think it is a fantastic representation of of what we would call like narrative therapy, like Mm. telling your own story and externalizing the problem where often what, what we'll say is someone who has depression is like, I am a depressed person or Mm. I am anxious or I am mentally ill. And the problem with that kind of phrasing is it externalizes everything and it makes yourself part of the problem where what you see visually happen in the Babadook where you show don't tell the Babadook is now an external not an Mm -hmm. internal factor and it is just an external problem that it's a problem it has to be dealt with but it doesn't have to be this tremendous weight that you carry with you at all times and I think what's lovely here is when Angela comes home Char immediately recognizes her as her mother that you know doesn't mean that those trappings of mental illness are completely gone that they need to be dealt with but the worst of it has now passed and she can recognize like this is the person who uh, I love and I'm supposed to be around and now we can help one another out I think that's really nice yeah any other thoughts anything I'm missing or anything you want to discuss that we hadn't had a chance to bring up no, I think we've pretty much covered everything that I right. wanted to say about You Are Not My Mother. 
Excellent. Well, I like I said, I am so glad you brought this one to the table. If I honestly, if I had seen it before this show, would have made my top ten mm-hmm. for twenty twenty two. It definitely would have knocked a couple things down a bit. It is definitely something I think I want to be returning to yeah. time and time again. And the, I think the one note I'll add is the way I watched this movie was on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And I have the Hulu with ads here in the States. So it was very jarring to watch a movie. And there was like a, it was like right after the bathroom scene, which is this very jarring moment. And then it smash cuts with no pause at all to like a Burger King ad. <laughs> so it's just like and Burger King has this really catchy jingle right now. So it is just the most bizarre transition um to watch like this really upsetting stomach turning scene and then be like, God damn, I could go for a whopper yeah. right now. And I'm singing the song in my head for like the next ten minutes. So yeah, you're like, I could Wonderful. really do with some fries right now. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's every day for me. There's never a moment where I'm not thinking I could do with fries. Uh, and my dog my dog is the same way, where she'll literally steal fries from our hand if we put our hands down and it's holding one. Um, all right, so any other mental health topics that we see represented in this movie? Like, nothing we're going to dig into, but we just kind of want to note them when we see them. I think just the hereditary... Uh, mm-hmm. factors of mental illness like you kind of see it a little bit in Rita that maybe you know she was depressed as well mm-hmm. and then Angela and then through Shara so I think it's important to note the lineage of uh, oh. mental illness as well yeah I think we hit the bulk of them we mentioned the bipolar bipo- possible bipolar disorder and I think with that you sometimes almost like when you see the outset of that manic phase you almost like, oh, maybe things will be better, but unfortunately things tend to escalate to the point where it becomes unsafe. Um, what I mentioned was like the psychotic depression where it become, the depressive state becomes so bad that you end up posing a danger to yourself and others and it almost tips into uh, schizophrenia and paranoia at that point. What other movies do we see uh, these themes represented in. I had a couple. I had Goodnight Mommy, um, The Taking of Deborah Logan, and any of the Invasion of the Body Snatcher movies as well, I think, kind of re- do f- offer a fair representation. Yeah, I mean, we said earlier, The Babadook. Um, Skin and Rink for this kind of... Sorry. Skin and Rink for this theme of children not being able to escape. Um and also hereditary for, you know, uh, that lineage of depression going from mother, mother, children. Not to put you on the spot, but are there any other Irish folklore horror movies you might point us towards? Like, I, I remember The Hallow being fairly okay, but are there any other folklore-drenched Irish films that you would recommend for v- listeners? Um, yeah, the Hallow is a good shout. Um, that deals a lot with like uh, fairies and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just trying to get up a oh, uh, kind of folklore, also vampires. Uh, Boys from County Hell touches. Mm-hmm. It's a vampire film, but it touches on um the Irish legend of the Avertok, who was this terrible vampire. Um, there is sorry, I have a big list of them. Uh, Go read through them. It's, <coughs> like, 
We'll take all the recommends. Do you need to grab a beverage or anything? Yeah, I've just had a drink. Sorry, I've got like a really bad cough okay. at the moment. Um, there is Without Name by uh, Lorcan Finnegan, um, who did Vivarium and most recently Nocebo. Um, it's about uh, like an eco-horror in the woods. Um, we've got The Hole in the Ground by Lee Cronin, who also teaches uh, touches on the changeling legend as well. He's the director mm-hmm. of the upcoming Evil Dead Rise. Um, the Devil's Doorway, not so much folk horror, but it touches on a very intrinsic Irish part of history that's very dark. Um, that's by Ashlyn Clark. Um, what else have we got? Um, yeah, that's, there's a, a few shorts, one called Changeling, again, about mm-hmm. the Changeling. That's in the Irish language. Uh, by Marie Claire Cushinan and Ryan O'Neill. Uh, you can see that on Alter on YouTube at the moment. Okay. So if you wanted to go even deeper into this Irish, the Irish history of the belief of changelings, then I would recommend that. So when you see the changeling, the George C. Scott film, are you like, that's not a changeling? Like, that's a ghost story. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> go to hell, George yeah. C. Scott. I kid. Um, all right, we're going to move on to our uplifting moment. And this is where we share any grounding, any coping techniques, any self-care that's been particularly effective for us. And we call grounding and self-care the little tips, the tricks, the mantras, or the practices that help us get us through the hard days or hard moments. Self-care is anything we do to make us feel good or make us feel better. And I'll just share like two quick things. Like I am a big believer in building in mental health personal days to one's life. Um, Not just taking them like the last possible moment where you desperately need one, but planning ahead and having it as something to look forward to. So like as this episode posts, tomorrow I will be going to a triple header of the movies, going to see Creed 3, 65 and scream six all in one day because the movies are my happy place and i've planned that out for a couple weeks and i've definitely found that it makes um getting through the work days a couple especially days where i'm pulling like both jobs a little bit more bearable because i know i have a built-in long weekend and then also taffeta mentioned this when she guested on our uh, what happened to Baby Jane show, but music. Like I've started to put together different playlists. Like one is a list of um, non-punk songs played by punk bands. And then also like a mental health music playlist. Things like Screeching Weasels, My Brain Hurts, or The Marked Men's Fix My Brain. Like songs that... Um, kind of touch on mental health topics uh but tend to be like three chords really fast and a lot of fun to sing along to egrain is there anything that you want to share no pressure to in this regard but um i just my personal self-care is always just cuddle up in bed a good cup of tea and Mm -hmm. i watch criminal minds to unwind okay i know people find that a bit bizarre but there's something so comforting about watching these shows and knowing that the heroes kind of, I mean, not all the time, but they kind of win in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I rewatch a lot of shows because it's a comfort thing. I know what's going to happen. So there's no chance yeah. for anxiety. So that's mine. Just rewatch a comfort show. 
No, that's a great one. That is, a, and my wife is very similar in that she'll watch like a show, like Supernatural mm. or Criminal Minds. Our current one we watch together. Like we're doing a first time watch of Murder She Wrote. Yeah, and really enjoying that because it's exactly like you said. There's a formula there. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's going to throw you for a loop and. Uh, like you said, the good guys tend to win yeah. in the end as well. So that definitely works. I'm trying to think what my comfort... I think my two comfort watches are Parks and Recreation and Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. I think I've seen those two shows more than any other that I've ever watched. So Yeah, mine would be... I do Criminal Minds like twice mm-hmm. a year. Um, and the other one would be Modern Family, so... We, I just completed a watch of that with my daughter. Yeah. She loves that show. It's another kind of like really kind of fun one to spend some yeah. time with. Um, it's amazing because like Levinson's newer show reboot was on Hulu and it mm-hmm. had like Key Peel, uh, Key from Key and Peel, and Judy Greer and a great cast. And it was canceled after one oh, no year. Way. Which is so bad. I think it ends on a cliffhanger. So great. Or a semi cliffhanger. Yeah. Well, all right. So what are we watching next? Next week, we're going to return to our theme of the month with sibling rivalry. And we are going to uh, talk about Brian De Palmer's masterpiece, Sisters, starring Margot Kidder. And if folks thought I was thirsty, it's the return of Thirsty Mike because. Folks that have like read my old sites, I think the second article I ever wrote way back in 2009 was basically extolling the virtues of Margot Kidder as the ultimate super babe of like 1970s horror. Like I love her so much and we'll kind of rant about that more than anything else in a week. Um, so looking forward to outing myself as a big perv next week. <laughs> Fantastic. But let's plug some things. Let's wrap up with some plugs. And Egrain, tell us about what's going on with your show and your work, your new video series on moving pictures. Uh, tell us about all these things. Um, so you can find me on my, I've got two podcasts. The main one, uh, What a Scream, where I chat about horror films. Um, the second one is Movies, Murder and Mayhem, where I talk with my co-host Ruby about the true stories behind horror films. Um, and then I have my video series Around the World in 80 Films uh, for Moving Pictures Film Club, where I look at a film from 80 different countries, um, which I can tell you was very difficult and took a long time to go through and find. Um, and you can also catch my writings on Moving Pictures, as well as Dread Central and... Um, ghouls magazine and a few other places here and there as well okay can you talk a bit about the premise of um what a scream because it's got a fairly unique premise in that you tend to choose like a subject and then pair movies around it like how that works out yeah so i actually like literally have a pot of crumpled up paper in it and i will just pick out a random subject and it could be anything from like 80s vampires to stuff like food or, you know, internet or a phone. So it can be really, really random. And so I get a guest on and my guest has to choose a film that has to do with that subject. And I do the same and we chat about it. And then we try and decide which one is the better pick. Um, but a lot of them make great double bills. So Excellent. Excellent. And where can everyone find you on the socials? Uh, I'm mainly on Twitter um, at what underscore scream. Okay. So for myself, 
As always, you can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, everywhere you get your podcasts. We are covering, we cover all franchises. Right now, we are at the midpoint of covering The Purge. Uh, As this show goes up, I believe we've just posted election year. There's going to be a quick break as we cover Scream 6 next week, so that'll complete all our coverage on Scream. It'll get us up to date until the inevitable Scream 7. And then we have a few more episodes left. We've recorded a little bit ahead, so I can tell you that like our uh, first Purge episode is fucking fantastic. Um, It is definitely the only show you'll ever hear that compares Frank Grillo to Gizmo from the Gremlins. So a little bit of what you have to look forward to. And, uh, yeah, we have a ton of great franchises planned throughout this year, including The Collector and Saw and hopefully Psycho. Um, Just a little bit gearing up for uh, all the research that will go into that one. Uh, You can follow me at Mike underscore Snoodian over on Twitter and Instagram. You can sign us. You can find uh, me over at Letterboxd at Mike Chump Change. Follow along with this show. Go to... Facebook for the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. We post our homework questions there. We have a lot of great interaction from our listeners there. And then also at PsychoAPod at Twitter and Instagram. If you want more of us, please become a patron today uh, so I can stop pitching it like a carnival barker. Go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast. We have a ton of bonus content up there. All of our tiers get you bonus content. At a minimum right now, there's about 25 hours of bonus content up there at our first tier. And like we have like our latest bonus show is on Skinamarink. We do our medicine chest where we make our recommendations, our treatment plans, where we look at different characters and horror and things they might be suffering from. But honestly, like your patronage just goes a long way to keeping the doors open here paying for the, the books and stuff we use for research and justifies the many hours that goes into putting each show together so again patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast speaking of homework your homework this week our question of the week is going to be tell us about like the thing you and your mom thought about the most as a child like the thing that you grew up with where your mom was just on your back uh, and you can answer that question at psychoapod at gmail if you want to answer privately you can post on our support group uh, on facebook like we mentioned or let us know over on twitter we'll post all the places you can answer that so i had some very drag out fights with my mother in my early 20s once my dad passed. Uh, I'll just leave it at that for right now. And with that, we'll sign off. That is our episode on. I almost said how I met your mother. <laughs> that is our episode, and you are not my mother. Listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Make sure you're taking care of yourself and one another. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. <laughs> and we're all out of bubblegum. <laughs> oh, I really want to change that at some point. All right, we're out of here. <laughs>